At the beginning of every year, we often see fad diets that come up online and, and in books. And, and it just seems like every year there's a new one. There's the, the keto diet. There's the South Beach diet. There was the Mediterranean diet. There was the, um, there was the grapefruit diet. I don't know if anybody remembers that. That was back in the day. There was the zone diet. They're just diets every year. Any other diets that you guys, what am I missing? Any others? Atkins, we got paleo, we got neo-paleo, we got neo-neo-paleo, that's good. Um, but there's just, every year there's some new, new fad, new trend that comes out. In fact, I remember this year, I think it was this year, there was one called the raw meat diet. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a guy, he called himself the liver king, and what he promoted on YouTube was that if you just eat raw meat, you'll be strong, and he, he was a very muscular guy. Well, it turns out, Turns out he was taking performance-enhancing drugs. He wasn't just eating raw meat. So he has a $25 million class action lawsuit against him right now. But, but, but he had this diet that people were try, trying to follow to their detriment, I would add. Why do we fall for this stuff? Why do we fall every year when, when there are, are fads about how to grow your business or how to build a better relationship or how to increase your finances or how to get uh, more healthy? Why do we fall... Why do we fall for these fads? The reason we fall for these fads is because we all sort of want the same thing. We all want to grow. We want to grow spiritually. We want, we want to grow healthier physically. We want to grow emotionally. We want to grow intellectually. We want our relationships to grow. We want our career to grow. We, we want our, our finances to grow. We, we all want sort of the same thing. We want to grow. We want to get stronger. We want to be healthier. And so when people come out and present these sort of fad ideas, we go, yeah, let me try that out, right? But usually they, they, they don't work. When we look at the early churches, which is what we've been doing for the last three weeks, we're looking at a church that was vibrant, that was healthy, and that was growing. We, we see over and over through the scripture how God kept expanding the church, but not just numerically, they were growing spiritually. They were getting deep spiritually. They were getting stronger and healthier spiritually. And the question that I wanna ask as a pastor, not just, not just as a pastor, as a person, as a Christian, is what were they doing? Because I wanna do what they were doing. I wanna grow healthy and vibrant and strong. I want my life and ministry to multiply in, in the way that, that theirs did. I want to do what Jesus called us to do, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I want us to be strong and healthy individually, but also as a church. And it turns out that when we look at the early church, we've looked at the early church for the last three weeks. We Two weeks ago, we looked at what the sort of the demographic of the church was. And we discovered that it, on the day of Pentecost, when the church launched, it was multi-ethnic, it was multi-generational, and it was composed of both men and women. And we, we explored that. If you didn't hear that sermon, please go back two weeks ago and watch that sermon. It was multi-ethnic, it was multi-generational, it was men and women, and it was, that's what the church looked like. Then last week, we looked at what the church was actually doing. What were their actions? What were they devoted to? What were their commitments? And we discovered that they were committed to four things. The apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Those were the four things that they were committed to. Today, I want to go one step deeper. The last sermon in this series, I want to know what was going on in their hearts. We saw what they looked like. We saw what they did. 
What was happening in their hearts and minds? What was their mindset? What was the disposition of their heart? What was the attitude that caused them to have this expansive health and expansive strength and expansive growth? What was going on inside? Well, let's go back to the scripture that we read at the top because the answer is in the scripture itself. It says this. So the church was being built up. Now, the word that is used there for built up, it's like the the same word that you would use for building a house. It was being fortified. The structure was being strengthened, edified. It was being built up. And then it says, and walking in the fear of the Lord. Somebody say fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Say comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. So that's, that's, that's the recipe. They were walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now, as I read that, and I wrestled with this all week, I'm like, how do you walk in fear and comfort at the same time? Like, what does that even, what does that even mean? Because, because you don't often hear fear and comfort in the same clause, in the same phrase. They, they walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, they multiplied. So I want to examine what that looks like. So we're going to break it out. We're going to break it out today over the next few moments. First, let's start with the fear of the Lord. What does that mean, fear of the Lord? This is a phrase that is not highly popular. It's not trending. Fear of the Lord is not trending. Maybe after today it will. Hashtag fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. It's just a, it's a phrase that Christians listen to or see and they kind of go, yeah, okay. How many of you know there's such thing as a healthy fear? Anybody know what a healthy fear is? Pastor Tyler, our, one of our associate pastors here, and Hallie were telling me this week about a time they went to the Grand Canyon, and they took their little daughter, Claire, and they are at the edge of the Grand Canyon, and of course, there's a railing, but Claire is just a toddler, and Claire had not yet developed a healthy fear of the Grand Canyon. You know, you need your children to have a healthy fear of the Grand Canyon. Why? Because there are laws governing the physics of the Grand Canyon. And you need your children to have a a full, clear apprehension, a clear understanding of what those laws mean and how they apply to them. Because if they do not, they will be harmed. They will fall off the edge. It turns out that there are about 12 deaths a year at the Grand Canyon just from people that don't have a healthy fear of the canyon. I think there's a picture of somebody who lacks what I would call the requisite level of healthy fear of the Grand Canyon. Now, it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the canyon. It's not evil. It's not malicious. It's not trying to hurt anybody. But there are laws that govern the Grand Canyon. And if, and if, you, try, if you breach those laws, they will apply to you very quickly and very emphatically. I'll give you another example. Several years ago, there was a documentary film called Grizzly Man. I don't know if anybody's ever seen Grizzly Man. It's a good documentary. I mean, I, I don't know if I can recommend it, but it's pretty good. Um, Grizzly Man is the story of a man who had come to believe that he could become friends with bears. <sighs> he really did. Um, his name was Timothy Treadwell. He believed that he had a relationship with bears and that he could cross the bridge between humans and bears. And so every year he would go up to Alaska and he would go live on the reserve and he would try to develop a relationship with the bears. He had names for them. He had nicknames for them. And and he documented all of this in in video. So there it is. He, He documented all this. Well, it turns out that bears are governed by the law of bears. (laughs) 
And the thing is, bears, when they get hungry, they eat lesser, less strong animals, less strong creatures. Anyway, um, I, don't, I don't want to be gruesome, but, but Timothy Treadwell's dem, uh, documentary doesn't end well for him. Let's just leave, let's just leave it at that, all right? I don't want to... But, but he, he, he fell prey to the law of the bear. Now, the bear wasn't malicious. You could take that down because I'm probably people are freaking out right now. The, the, the bear wasn't malicious. The bear wasn't trying to hurt. Wasn't, well, it wasn't malicious. The bear was just hungry and the bear was just doing what bears do, right? Bears eat people. So you don't go play around with bears. You fool around and you find out. So they... they Timothy Treadwell learned the hard way. So, so there's a healthy fear. It's the same with God. God has laws that govern him and that govern us. They are immutable laws. They are laws of justice and righteousness. They are laws that cannot be bent and cannot be changed. They are laws to which he calls each of us to adhere. And if we don't adhere, there are natural consequences to the breaching and the breaking of the laws of God. The first time we hear about the fear of God in the scripture is when God calls Abraham to sacrifice his only son. This is a terrifying story. I read this to my son Lincoln this week, and he was like, that's my favorite story. And I was like, that's my least favorite story in the whole Bible. Because God calls Abraham and he says, Abraham, I know that you just, you have this son that you love so much. I want you to take your boy and I want you to take him up onto Mount Moriah. And I want you to bind his hands and feet. And I want you to build a sacrifice. And I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac to me. Now, if you know the story, you know that Abraham was over 100 years old when this happened. He had been waiting to have a child his whole life. Sarah had been waiting to have, his wife had been waiting to have a child. Finally, they got this little boy. They loved this boy. And Abraham takes his little boy by the hand and walks up the mountain of Mount Moriah. And he says, we're going to go sacrifice to the Lord. And the boy says, well, I see the wood, Dad. And, and, and I see the fire. But where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide himself a lamb. But God had told Abraham that Isaac was to be the lamb. And so God, uh, Abraham takes Isaac by the hand, takes him up on Mount Moriah, prepares the wood, binds the hands and feet of his little boy, puts his little boy on the altar. Terrifying story. Raises the knife to slaughter his own son. And the angel of the Lord stops him. And this is what he says. The angel of the Lord says to Abraham, he says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you what? Fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. You see, what God is testing in Abraham is, do you really understand who I am? Do you really understand that I am the most important, that there needs to be priority for me over everything else? That you need to love me with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That you need to obey me with your whole life. That nothing, that nothing that you love or care for is as important as me. Do you really understand that, Abraham? And Abraham in this story says, yes, God. And this is why Abraham becomes the father of the faithful. Now, we ask the question, why does God care so much about our obedience? Right? Why does a parent care so much about their child's obedience at the edge of the Grand Canyon? The reason the child 
is the reason the parent cares and the reason that God cares is because he knows the consequences of breaching his laws. His laws are built for our good and for our flourishing. And when we break them, we break them to our detriment. Years ago, I, I worked, I represented a company that made glass bottles for sodas and beer and whatever. They, had bought, they made these bottles. And they had a level, they had a requirement that was almost a requirement of perfection for the bottles. They would make these glass bottles and they would come off the line and then they had these lasers that would scan the bottles. And the lasers were looking for any tiny defect in the bottle, any tiny little air bubble in the bottle. And if there was a tiny defect in the, in the bottle, they would take the bottle, they would break the bottle, they would grind the bottle, put it back in the furnace, melt it, and then they would make another bottle out of it. Why did they do that? Because if there was a tiny little defect, I mean just a millimeter-sized bubble in the bottle, then the bottle could break. The bottle could shatter. Then the usefulness of the bottle was over. And not only that, but the, 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 the shards, the broken bottle, could harm the hand of the person who held it. So when Jesus is looking at our lives, the reason he's so particular about sin and the reason he so particularly and so desperately wants us to follow him is he knows that when there are sins in our lives, there are defects in our life, it can shatter us. Sin can shatter your life and it can, and it can cut the lives of those that you love. So God is saying, I, I want you to be reverentially fearful, not, not terrified, not paranoid, right? But I want you to have a healthy fear of me. There's a preacher named David Platt and he wrote this. I saw this this week and I I thought, this was, I thought this was good. He said, there is a real fear. When I look in the Bible and I see Isaiah trembling before God, I see Ezra falling on his face before God in fear. Even the disciples, when they realize who Jesus is, they're afraid. With increasing knowledge of God and awareness of who he is, there's an increasing fear that is in awe of him. His holiness, his greatness, his majesty evokes fear in us. God is a just God. He is a righteous God. He is a holy God. And he wants us to understand that, not because he's malicious or mean, but because he loves us and he wants us to flourish and he wants us to multi multiply and he wants us to succeed. I'm going to give you one last scripture on the fear of God. I can tell you guys are ready to move onto the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Amen, somebody. <laughs> Ecclesiastes says this. Here's the conclusion of the, of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. You notice that fear always, follow, uh, always precedes obedience. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. The reality is this, and, and I know that a lot of times when you hear preachers speak on the fear of God, one of the things they'll say is, well, it's not really fear, it's awe. And it is awe. It is reverence. But it is also fear in a, in a healthy way. It's a healthy fear. In fact, I'm going to give you a definition. You'll have to back up a couple slides for this. Here's the definition of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the wonderful, terrifying, and reverential awe that leads to total and complete obedience no matter the cost. This is what God is calling us to. He is calling us to unadulterated, absolute obedience. And so if we're sitting here today and we're hearing this today and all of the students are just coming back into town and they're going, oh, what? Okay, I've got to fear God at this level. Yes, yes. And also, there's the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So what is the comfort? What is the comfort of the Holy Spirit? Let's move on to comfort of the Holy Spirit. Everybody said amen. amen. Everybody at Shaw, amen. Everybody online, amen. The comfort of the Holy Spirit. The comfort of the Holy Spirit is the power of God that dwells within us, that gives us the strength and the ability to obey God. 
It's the power of God that dwells inside of us that gives us the strength, the confidence, and the hope to be able to do the things that God calls us to do. Here's the, here's the Greek for the phrase comfort of the Holy Spirit. The word used in the Bible is paraklesis. Para means close beside, and klesis means to call. I want you to get this. Para is where we get the word parallel. It means right beside us, really close to us. And klesis means to call. The other day, I was at a wrestling meet. My son, Jameson, had one of his first wrestling matches, and I got to go and attend the wrestling match. And there weren't enough coaches for all of the wrestlers, so one of the coaches said, hey, would you mind to coach your son at the edge of the mat during his, during his match? And I was like, yes, I would, right? I'd love that. I would. So, so I got to kneel down at the edge of the mat while my son, Jameson, was wrestling. I got to call out to him from really close, right? I was, I was the paraclesis in that moment. I was right next to him and I'm calling out and I'm giving him instructions and I'm telling him what to do and I'm close so he can feel me, he can hear me and I'm telling him, giving him instructions and clarity and do this, do this, do that, do the other thing, right? And it was awesome. It was just fantastic. Now, one step better would have been if I could have gone out onto the mat while he's wrestling and going, okay, no, put your arm there. Okay, good. Now stick your leg there. Okay, now turn him up, right? That would have been really good. Now, one step better would have been if I could go, no, here's how you do it. And then I, I join him in the wrestling match. And then I pin this other 75-pound kid to the, ma- to the mat with Jameson looking on and assisting. and so- That's the Holy Spirit. That's the image of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the Spirit is not only with you, but He's in you. So the power of the Holy Spirit is coming really close to us, calling out to us from really, really close. And in fact, the Scripture says the Holy Spirit will fight on our behalf. So the Holy Spirit, we have the fear of God, but then we have the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there to wrestle against sin and against temptation and against all of the pain and grief and sorrow and problems that we face. The Holy Spirit is there with you, and the Holy Spirit is in you. This is why the early church multiplied, because they had the fear of the Lord, but they had the comfort of the Holy Spirit, right? They understood who God really was, but they weren't cowering in fear. They were filled with the courage of the Holy Spirit. They were powerful by the power of the Spirit that dwelt within them. So what does this mean for us? How do we walk simultaneously in the fear of God and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit? I'm going to draw it for you. I'm going to draw it for you. How do we live in the fear of God as one family church and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit? You know I like graphs. Some of y'all are visual people. We're going to put a plus here, a plus here, minus here, and a minus here. All right, this axis right here, this is going to be the fear of the Lord. This is the fear of the Lord axis. Fear of the Lord axis. This axis is going to be the comfort of the Holy Spirit axis. So this is the comfort of the Holy Spirit, comfort of the Holy Spirit. Where we want to end up is in this quadrant right here. We want to be high on the fear of the Lord, and we want to be high in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We want a lot of the fear of the Lord, and we want a lot of the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to, I'm going to reserve this to last, all right? I'm going to show us where we end up if we're in the other quadrants. Let's start over here. Maybe you've met somebody before that, had, that was high in the fear of the Lord, but they were low in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you what this leads to. This leads to what I call legalism. Legalism. 
Legalism is when you say, I'm going to obey every command of God. Oh, I am going to obey because if I don't, man, I know what will happen to me. So I'm going to obey every single law of God. But you do it without relationship. There's no love. There's no comfort. There's no peace. There's no joy, right? You're doing it because you're terrified of God. You're high in the, in the fear of the Lord, but you're low in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you the problem with legalism. It leads to two things every single time. It leads to hypocrisy and judgmentalism every single time. I know because I've been there. I, I, I know because I've been there myself. When, when I was a kid, I think I told this story a long time ago. When I was a kid, my best friend and I, Miguel Alamos, we were trying to do, we were trying to walk in the fear of the Lord. We were trying to obey the rules. But how many of you know, once, once you get legalistic, you, you, after a while, you're like, okay, I can obey the external rules. I can obey the, the, the letter of the law, but can I just kind of break the spirit of the law? Right? Can, I, can I come around and do something that's not technically wrong? Anytime you hear somebody say technically, you know they're trying to break. So Miguel and I, we wanted to, if you've got kids in here, just blank out, plug your ears. We wanted to smoke cigarettes, Miguel and I. But we knew that smoking cigarettes was against the law, against the rule, rules of the house. The rules of, you can't smoke cigarettes. Rules of the church growing up in the Pentecostal church, you cannot smoke cigarettes. So we said, well, what could we do? Because we want to smoke cigarettes, but we know we can. So what we did is we went into my mother's bathroom, and she had dried out cinnamon potpourri. And we crushed that cinnamon potpourri, and we rolled that in post-it notes. And then we went out to the fort, and we smoked cinnamon potpourri in post-it notes. Like all afternoon, just cinnamon, you know, I'm going to die four years earlier than I should because of that afternoon, right? That's hypocrisy. That's like, well, I didn't break the rules. Did you guys smoke cigarettes? Nope. Cinnamon potpourri rolled in post-it pads. <laughs> That's hypocrisy. Judgmentalism is when you are obeying the external laws, so you've figured out that, you know what, I'm actually pretty good at obeying these, and you see other people that are not obeying them, and so that you look down on them because they're not keeping up the standard that you're keeping up. This is not where God wants us, just FYI. In fact, most of Jesus' ire was directed at people who were legalistic. Most of his, most of his anger, most of, most of his harshest comments were directed at people who were saying, I'm observing the outside rules, and you're not right? So that's legalism. If we've experienced legalism, sometimes we find ourselves moving over here. This is where we are high on the comfort of the Holy Spirit, but we are low. We are low in the fear of the Lord. We, we want to be really excited about God's grace and God's comfort, but we're really low in the fear of the Lord. This leads to a long word that I have to divide up, complacency. This is complacency. Somebody who's been here for a long time, sometimes they want to come over here and they go, look, I can't obey the rules. I don't want to follow the rules. In fact, I'm not even worried about the fear of the Lord. I'm not even worried about God's law anymore. I'm just going to enjoy the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And God says, no, this is not where I want you either. This isn't. In fact, there's a story in First Chronicles, I'll read it to you quickly, where David, David wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. He wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant was the most sacred item in all of Israel. It's where God met human beings. It's where, it's, it's where it's Moses had been given the law by God of how to build it, what, it, what it's supposed to look like, how to transport it, how to carry it. And it was, it was going to be brought back to Jerusalem. Well, David had become complacent. 
He'd become complacent. He didn't read the rules or the laws of God. He had had a lot of success in, in military, and he had had a lot of success um, in, his, in his early part of his career. And he said, I'll just, just go. We'll go get a cart. We'll put the ark in the cart, and we'll bring it back to Jerusalem, right? Here's what it says. It says that in 1 Chronicles 13, it says, They moved the ark of God from Abinadad's house on a new cart with Uzzah and Ahio guiding it. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with songs, harps, lyres, timbrels, cymbals, and trumpets. They're having a blast. They're having a party. Moving the ark of God. All good. We're going to have a great time. We're moving the ark of God. We got it in the cart. We're bringing it to Jerusalem. We're going to celebrate. We're having a blast. Next verse says, When they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. You read this story and you go, wait, what? What happened? He was trying to keep the ark from falling and God struck him down. I don't understand that, right? What God is saying is, I gave clear instructions about this ark. This is the most reverent, holy item that I have given to you. Nobody is to touch it. In fact, you're not supposed to carry that on an ark. You're supposed to make acacia wood rods covered in gold and have the priest, after they've consecrated themselves, carry the ark. This is a holy thing. And God says, you, you don't just touch it, right? Here's what we know about Uzzah. Uzzah was the son of Abinadad. Abinadad was the guy who had the ark at his house. Uzzah had grown up with the ark in his house. Uzzah had gotten complacent. Uzzah had said, I know I'm not supposed to touch it, but I, you know, right? I've got the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I don't need to really worry about the fear of the Lord. And God said, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not how it works. You, you, you don't, just because you're moving out of legalism doesn't mean you get to move into complacency. I'm going to read you one, one more quote. This, this guy, D.A. Carson, wrote this. He said this. People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. When really we are complacent. God says, no, no, no. That's not where I want you. Your life cannot flourish when it's complacent. As it cannot flourish when you're legalistic, you cannot flourish when you're complacent. And so some of us then move over here to where we are low on the fear of the Lord and we are low in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I just call this, there are a lot of different words here. I'm just going to call this dejection. Dejection is we realize, man, we're not doing what's right and we're disobeying the law of God and we don't even have the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And so we just end up just feeling absolutely horrible. I have been here. Many of you have been here. Some of you are here right now. And let me just comfort you with these words. This is actually a better place for you to be than here or here. You know why? Because here and here, you don't think you need God. Here, you know you need God. If you're legalistic, you think I've got this dialed in. I'm squared away. If you're complacent, you think it doesn't really matter. God's with me anyway. It's here when you realize I need the Lord. David in the Psalm says this. I love Psalm 40. He said, for troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me. I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. 
And then he says this in verses two and three. He says, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. You see, God will reach down to wherever you are and he'll say, let me bring you up to flourishing. Let me bring you up to life. Let me bring you up to hope. Let me bring you up to joy. Let me put the fear of God in you and also the comfort of the Holy Spirit. This is where I want to be. This is where the early church was. This is where God is calling us to be. Why? Because this is true growth. This is where your relationships flourish. This is where your career flourishes. This is where your spiritual life flourishes. This is where your emotional life flourishes. This is where your intellectual life flourishes. When you have the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. God says, let me call you into this. Why? Not because I'm mean, not because I'm angry, but because I want you to flourish. I want your life to expand. I want your, this church to multiply. I want you to be strong. I want you to be healthy. I want you to grow in every aspect of your life. This is the recipe. This is the glaringly obvious, although difficult to grasp, secret of spiritual growth. It is to have the fear of the Lord in every aspect of your life and to have the comfort of the Holy Spirit walking with you, guiding you, and leading you. My favorite example of this, and I'm going to close. I did a series a couple of years ago called Strong and Courageous. And we were looking at the story of Joshua. And I just, I wish I could just preach that whole series again. Maybe I will. I'll just change some stuff. I just, it just, it was amazing. But there's this passage at the beginning of the book of Joshua that tells us what it, what it looks like to walk in the fear of, Lord, of the Lord and the courage of the Holy Spirit. And this is what it says. Listen to this. Joshua 7, and I'm closing. Joshua 1, verses 7 to 9. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. In other words, the fear of the Lord. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go, that you may have growth, that you may flourish, that you may be successful. Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Be obedient, reverential to God. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Again, he says, these are the results. Your life flourishes when you are fearing fearing the Lord and obeying him. Have I not commanded you, he says? Be strong and courageous. Now, I've figured out at this point how to be strong. It's fearing the Lord. But how do I be courageous? Then he says this. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The comfort of the Holy Spirit will be with you wherever you go. When you're out there wrestling on the mat of life and fighting challenges and temptations and fears and griefs and anxiety and obstacles, the Holy Spirit is here with you, wrestling with you giving you instruction, leading you, teaching you, comforting you, encouraging you, building confidence in you, and fighting on your behalf. So how do I get here? If I'm here, here, or here, how do I get here? Last verse, one line, James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God. (sighs) 
and he will draw near to you. It's, it's a step. It's a breath. It's a prayer. It's, it's, he's here. He's here. So to draw near to God is simply, is simply to go, I need you. I need you. I got to have you, Lord. You're holy. You're holy. And I, and I, I want to be close to you. And I want to experience you in my life. And I want to obey you. And I want to understand you. And I want to get close to you. That's all it is. It's draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Last week, we learned what the early church was doing. They were devoted. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were coming to church. They were reading their Bibles. They were meeting together in small groups at each other's homes. The, the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. They were sharing life with each other. They were uniting. They were partnering with each other. And the breaking of bread, they were celebrating and eating together. And to prayer. They were spending time in devotion to the Lord. If you are in any of these quadrants this morning and you say in 2023 man I want to grow I want to experience God in a powerful new fundamentally transformative way I want to invite you to draw near to God today let's bow our heads as we close if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're a guest or you're a visitor here today and and something about this message or something about the words or the the scripture or the music or something has just pricked your heart and and made you want to draw close to God. I I just want to invite you to allow God in today. I want you to just say, God, I need you. God, I need you in my heart. I need you in my life. I put my trust in you as the son of God, that you you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of God. Jesus, you were buried You died and were buried and rose again on the third day and I put all my trust in you. I allow the the blood of your sacrifice to wash over my sins and cleanse me. I put my trust in you. If you're here today and maybe you've become complacent or maybe you've just gotten legalistic and you just have figured out that, you know, you you think you figured out that you've got this under control. I just want you to pray and just say, God, I just, I need you today. I need the comfort of your Holy Spirit. I need to have a real, intimate, true, authentic relationship with you. And I need to obey you with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Give me the power. Give me the strength to take the next step towards you. And Father, I just pray for this entire church family. I pray that as we wrap up this sermon series and we head into a new series next Sunday, I just pray, Lord God, that you would fill our hearts with strength. I pray that the students who are pouring back into the church, Lord God, that they would be strengthened. They would be strengthened by your by your spirit. You would give them the strength to fight all of the challenges and, and difficulties that they face. I pray that each and every one of us would just be drawn closer into love with you and deeper into love with one another. We thank you. We honor you and we praise you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.